I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. Hello and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast with me, your host, Tony Gargan. And today I am absolutely honoured to bring to you a fantastic lady. Now, this lady I'm about to introduce to you, she is high energy. She is a hands-on keynote speaker. She is an author, a coach, a facilitator and a regular contributor to entrepreneur.com, as well as being a successful leader, having built businesses, facilitated in front of God knows how many people. Please, can you join me in welcoming the fabulous Tina Clements. Oh my goodness, Tony, what an introduction. Meanwhile, we're both at 10s constantly. I think one of us are going to have to bring it down to an eight or a seven. I will call myself. Don't (laughs) worry myself. It's the only way for people to hear you. obviously something that's a part of your brand for those who are listening who've not heard of you before who don't know about you and your amazing book and the facilitation that you do tell us a little bit about you who you are what you do well thank you so much for allowing me to join you today as this is my favorite topic Uh, I am a a self-proclaimed facilitation nerd I absolutely love it there's nothing more than I love to do writing about facilitation, but facilitating about facilitating is just an absolute passion. And honestly, I fell into the industry over 26-ish years ago. I was working uh, at HBO and a colleague came up and said, you know, there's an opening in the training department. And I said, "What what is the training department? Now, this was back in the day when that was, teaching adults was not a thing. It wasn't discussed. It wasn't, it wasn't promoted. You know, training was all about how to, uh, uh, write a certain way and how, you know, onboarding for a certain company. That's really what it was. And I, what I got the job and I learned how to do, uh, training in a store. And at the time it was cable vision, right. And I taught people how to sell and I went, this is, this is a thing. And I can, this is a living and I'm watching people shift and change. And from there, that's when I really, again, I geeked out into the psychology behind how to really teach adults what adult adult learning really looks like and how to facilitate artfully. And 25-ish years later, um, having worked for Volkswagen and done triage training, which is what I call when you would go into a cable vision system, grab a few um, uh, soft phone skill people from the floor and say, I need four of you to educate you about this topic. And then the sales manager would come in and go, I need those two people back, but here's another person. And it was just this rapid, right? So I utilized all, I took all of my experiences uh, and ultimately did two things. One, write the book, The Art of Facilitation, which was a labor of love. And two, was able to launch the retail performance company, which is the company that I work with now. Uh, We're a project house and our expertise is in human resources, services, uh, consulting, coaching, and of course, training, putting training together and how to really help adults and companies elevate up and out. So that is my very long story, yet short overview of of the path that brought us together today. And again, I'm so, so proud and honored to be talking with you because I could truly, I think this is one of 15 podcasts that we'll have to have because I I could talk about this all day. That's for sure. (laughs) 
there is so much in there and there are so many connections which are why you think we both start at a level 10 because when you talk about it I'm like I'm from a retail background I'm from a HR background I had to train people who didn't want to be trained I had to deliver public speeches in front of people who didn't want to and for, for those people who are listening on an auditory basis only you know you can see that Tina is nodding away because these are the things that you you've experienced also which is why I see such of a synergy there but also why I want to sit back and ask the questions and just basically find your viewpoints around it because you say you stumbled into it and many of the people who listen to the podcast are either relatively new to any of those areas of presenting pitching and public speaking I, I firmly believe that all three are different and you've touched upon selling and you've touched upon facilitation and presentations and training so for those people who are brand new like if I was to ask you and this is a really tough question potentially how do you get started? What is the starting point for someone who is, you know, con considers themselves level zero in terms of experience and knowledge in that area? How do people get started? It is a really challenging question, but it is a f phenomenal question because I wish I had a nickel for every time someone came up to me after a facilitated event and said, I want to do what you do uh, it, it, a million times. And it's not easy but nothing worth doing is easy, right? And so you have to take a risk. If you really want to be a air quote freelance facilitator, a facilitation warrior, as I, as I like to put it, then there's a few ways to go about it. Um, the first way is to maintain your current level of employment and find ways to facilitate within your current world, within your current organization and do it pro bono, which means you're doing it for your better uh, for your improvement, for your learning, et cetera, et cetera. For sure, you want to be taking some sort of a, I hesitate to say certified program. However, they are typically the ideal direction to go to learn the art, to learn the skills that you need. Because I'll tell you this, Tony, for sure. Maybe this is a stereotype, but I'm going to say it anyway. The humans who are the best at a topic, in my experience, are generally not the best facilitators of said topic. And I have had many a subject matter expert, again, come up to me and say, well, I'll just, I'll just teach it. And I, and I die a small death inside because I know they're phenomenal. I've met these inside my own organization. Well, I'll just teach them the X, Y, Z. And I'll say, you, 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 Jonathan, and he's like, I know you'll do it. And I'm like, no, no, we'll do it together. This is right. You're learning and you're good because there is, there's an art to it. And by the way, I wasn't phenomenal 25 years ago. I just, that's how you get great. You just do it. So my short answer is wherever you are now, start practicing, videotape yourself, watch yourself, get feedback from those who you know are the best of the best. Be prepared to not like that feedback. However, feedback is a gift. We take it, we eat it, right? Sometimes it gives us heartburn, but we take it and then we shift and we adjust. Then if you can start to get compensated events, then that's when you start to put it together. Now, some people just jump. I do have a, a very dear friend who left an incredible safe job and just began her own coaching and training company, for which, again, a little part of me went, what, uh, uh, how uh, smartest thing she ever did, because she put all of her time and energy into that focus. And guess what? A year later, she's, she had to shift with Corona with the, you know, and facilitate this unique way, no more uh, instructor led, but she was, she made a business for herself. So that is, 
the other avenue is just to jump and swim. <laughs> a little part of me dies on the inside because I train a lot of people in different areas as well as public speaking. I train in, in property and there are so many people who are like, oh, well, I've just quit my job. And oh, I'm right. <gasps> yeah, That's right. And there's a little bit of me and, you know, I suppose a big part of it is knowing yourself, knowing whether that yes. is personality, you know, I am a risk taker in so many areas. You know, I started a property portfolio with zero money. I started a, a public speaking business without any public speaking skill set. So learn, you know, jump and grow the wings on the on the way down. Exactly. Parts of me that are a little bit like I've never left one job until I've started a new job and worked two alongside one another. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's loads in there that I want to talk about. And you'll see that I sit in a scroll all of my notes down because you mentioned two words, which I think are absolutely key. And I'd love to jump in on those, which are that your facilitation, presentation, speaking skills. One is an art form and two is a skill. And so often people think either or, whereas obviously you've mentioned both. So in terms of those people who are thinking, well, that's okay for you. Tina, you're an awesome speaker. You've obviously always been able to do it. It's just something that is innate and you were born with. What would you say to those people? (laughs) I would say, ha, 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 I was, I was not. And and P.S., I was terrified and still am. I never, at my age, for which is I am no longer in my 20s, nor 30s, nor 40s, by the way. But you know, I, I, I now step up to stage confident, ready to go, and I know I will fulfill. However, I never allow myself to hold a piece of paper because my hands shake tremendously every single time. To this day, the, 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 in the very beginning, I was terrified and I was not good. But I kept going because I knew it was something that I was in love with it. And I knew it was special and, and for, for all of my own reasons, right? So you you have to cope, be okay in the suck. You're going to suck at first and that's okay. But I listened to the feedback and I shifted and I changed. And I again, it was very hard. Anything that I put in the book and that I've, I've personally experienced and lived myself and I know that it worked. Did I answer your question though, Tony? I think I went off on a tangent, which I often do. Did I not? You've you've actually started more thought processes in my head. People who always, or or, you know, I'm using the term always, me overemphasizing, that often say, oh, you were born with this skill set. You know, that, that it's something that you've said you've practiced, you've learned, you weren't always great at. A phrase that you said, and you said feedback is a gift and you have to eat it. And... I love that because the phrase that I use with all of our mentees on the academies that we run is that feedback is the breakfast of champions. So the fact that you've said sometimes you eat it, it gives indigestion. Like, yes, singing from the same hymn sheet. (laughs) You don't always like it and you have to find a way to digest it and find the right fit for you. So I love, love, love that. Um, You used phrases like facilitate artfully and I firmly believe that it is an art form as well as a skill set so how do you then move from the you know you learn in the skill set around it you move from the level of competence then of knowing how to deliver a speech or a presentation how do you then move to the level of artistry where it's no longer you know scripted or the piece of paper in the shaky hand or it doesn't feel so robotic if you're practicing how do you then move from the the competent to mastery or artistry of it you steal from the best (laughs) so (laughs) 
the, you, you keep saying the word art and I love you for that because there is, the art of facilitation is an art. However, to your point earlier, it, it, there is a skill set. And actually, I like to say there is a science. It actually starts with the science of. So you have to know the theories of and the psychology behind and how adults learn. And there's not just one way. So it, it learn all of the techniques and the science and watch others and take from what others are doing and deploy. And then there is no other answer. I apologize in advance. You have to do it and fail and do it again. I was really blessed when I worked for Volkswagen. This was 99. I have no idea. It was many, many years ago. I was one of 10 uh, national instructors. And we went around, we, we would usually set up shop in a hotel and our dealer personnel would come in and I'd have anywhere between 10 and 60 uh, people about three days a week, three months of the year, approximately, sometimes a lot less, sometimes more. And I would be teaching the same five or six courses that are one day, two day or three day. And I was able to really fail, fail fantastically. And then say, well, that didn't work. Well, let me try it a different way. Let me try this again. And then ultimately I got so proficient at making a mistake on purpose so I could then fix the flaw and humanize myself to the audience. I became proficient at using the whisper to bring people into what I was saying. I was proficient at using my, and I just, I was able to practice and practice and practice, but know this, I failed at first. It was, there were many, my favorite is when I squatted down and ripped my pants right up the bat. I mean, Tony, the failures that I have way outweigh the successes. And I love that because I've been able to teach those failures to my facilitation warriors so they can learn from my mistakes and then, Recorrect, right? And without having to go through the embarrassment. But that's really the, the answer. It's not a popular answer. I'll be honest with you. There's no magic bullet to this. It's doing it and doing it again and doing it again. And again, I, I'll reiterate this one point. I was really lucky in that I was able to teach the same material over and over and over again. So I was never worried about the material in this particular example. And that gave me so much more confidence to then try something new. And, and it's never one, one little thing to throw out to while you're doing this, this is not about entertainment and it's not about you. When you're facilitating your main responsive, well, you're working for a company usually. So the main responsibility is to deliver the business objective. There's always a business objective tied into your training, your training objective, hundred percent. So that needs to happen. However, your real focus is to ensure that the people with whom you are facilitating, they hear you. They don't hear you. Excuse me. They comprehend. They're eating your message. They retain it. And then they apply the skill set, whatever the action is after the fact. And if you get 20 smiley sheets back that say, oh, she was so funny. And so this, then I don't hire you back because that means you didn't do your job. You were great and you should go on the road. However, you might not be the best facilitator. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, again, absolutely tons in there. And obviously, given what you do, you train people in many different niches, markets, areas, and the ability to deliver the same presentation or the same variances of of the same material. Many of the people who come along to our trainings, many of the people who listen are doing exactly that as their kind of side hustle, if you like. So where you said, if you're not jumping straight in, you know, many of the people we train are 
teaching people around their passion. So we've had people who think that they can't create a, a presentation, a pitch, a sale or a product or service around their passion when we're saying get this skill set and then actually it fits around anything. The same systems and processes. So we've had stand-up paddle boarders who are teaching people around it and that same presentation in different variations of it. You use the phrase, which I've never heard before, and I'm totally going to steal and give credit for, which is fail fantastically. Mm-hmm. Talk about failing forward. But that's total ownership of it. Royally, eyeballs up. These are the mistakes I made, and this is what I learned, and the ability to continually improve, which is why I love when you said earlier on, I still get nervous. To me, the day a presenter, a pitcher, a, a facilitator who doesn't get nervous, doesn't care any longer, and that comes back to where you said your main objective, as well as delivering for the companies you're presenting for, is that service to the audience. We all love the smiley faces. We all love the feedback, which is, this is amazing. But if there's never anything to improve upon or if there's no content information, it's like none of that was relevant. And there are so many things around what you're saying there, you know, going all the way back to earlier on, as well as getting feedback from others, that self-critique to record yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever done that initially and you've played it back and you're like, who is she invading my body? Whose voice is that? And I'm totally going to be the Mary Poppins voice at some point today. (laughs) But knowing, you know, those people who are listening and now thinking, wow, she experienced that too. How do you, how do you compartmentalize the self, the critical self-feedback and the voice in your head that is just telling you you're not very good, then what to learn from it and how to improve forward? Okay, this, that's podcast number seven with us. So it's, uh, That is called the power of choice. So there's this equation, thoughts, feelings, and actions. I cannot put my finger into a fellow facilitator's face and say, stop feeling bad. You you were fine. Or stop being so upset. Or that's like telling a teenager to get out of bed in the morning. They're going to be like, go, go, insert expletive here, mom, right? So it doesn't work that way. So I can't tell a facilitator to, to oh, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Or to compartmentalize. It, it, I have, you have to have a new thought around something to then feel something different than ultimately to act different. And it is a pure equation, thought, feeling, action. And this is something I know quite a lot about because my biggest fantastic facilitation fails happened when I, my inner critic, the noise in my brain told me that I was bad or told me that I was going to fail. Guess what? And then I failed. So what I have now, again, I am, I have many years now of experience of shifting and, uh, and I also became a coach. So I went through this incredibly intensive, long coaching certification program, which taught me that equation. And it just helped me to get to that where I still get nervous. Like I said, I am terrified. I still doubt myself, but I'm able to coach myself and say, okay, time out for a second. What's really going on for me right now? Because I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling stupid. I feel so stupid right now, or I'm going to fit whatever the thing is. Okay. What's going on for me? And I'll give you a great example. About five minutes ago, you and I were talking and I came out of my body as we were talking. And I said, you're rambling. And you didn't answer her question. And I somewhere down deep said, hold on, 
it's because you're feeling you want to deliver to Tony and her audience right now. So that's when I asked you the question, did I explain that? Did I, did I do a good enough job? To, and, and that was being vulnerable. So I, I, I thought, had the thought and I felt stupid and bad, whatever it was. And I've been there before. So I knew what to do was to check in with you. And you were going to tell me the truth. No, Tina, you didn't answer my question. And then, okay, I can fix it. So again, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but it's, it's you're going to feel the feels, ladies and gentlemen. And, and in that moment, stop and go, okay, what's really going on? And have I been here before I have? Did I die? No. Great. Okay. So that means that I'm not going to die. So the worst won't happen. What could happen? Well, the client could think that I don't know what I'm, okay, how can I, do? all right, I'm just going to ask the client or whatever the thing is, right? Different thought, we'll have a different feeling, and then you'll have a new action around it. Very long-winded answer, but that is... Around it, I've, the words I've written down, you then said, which was the check-ins, those check-ins with your audience, did I deliver? Have I answered your question? Or if you, you know, one of the, the most common fears that the facilitators, trainers, presenters that we come across have is, well, what if I lose track of what I'm saying? Forget, you know, I lose my that brain fog where you don't know what day it is, you've forgotten your own name, you don't know where you are at, and the ability to kind of go, did that make sense, the check-in? Or the, you know, you use the question around, did I answer the question? And for anyone who is listening, knowing that in that kind of two to three second period, all of those thoughts that went through your head, uh, you're rambling, you haven't answered the question, you've been here before, this is how you're feeling, that to any of us as an outsider's view, that didn't appear to be the case because it's been internally, you've faced it before. So yes, there are tons and tons of actionable points within there, along with the thoughts, feelings and actions, which we talk around quite a lot, but that one key word of new, the new thought to change the feeling and change the action, Mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever really touched upon. So that ability to split second make a decision I'm not reaching the end goal I was hoping to how do you change that so from the psychological point of view then that out-of-body experience where you are talking to yourself and saying no one's listening to what you've got to say did you really say that those (laughs) so loud know that moment what you're defying so empathize with that moment you know can I can I interrupt and share something before I forget, Simon Sinek, this did not come from me, from Simon Sinek, who, you know, the, the uh, employment engagement guru, he said, when uh, uh, Olympic uh, athletes, they never answer an interview by saying, I'm nervous. They say, I'm excited. And there is a psychological shift. So having that new perspective, shifting your perspective around the approach, using the verbiage, using different verbiage and literally saying out loud, I'm excited. You could be feeling nervous. And normally you would say, I'm scared to death. Replace it, replace it with excited. Because guess what? As he explains, your, your physical reaction to being nervous is exactly the same as being excited. And if you shift your neuronic pathway by using different language, you will show up differently and it works. I will tell you, it absolutely works. God bless Simon Sinek, that's for sure. But that has worked for me and we teach that because fear has so much to do with everything that we are talking about. And you can control fear and use it as a tool if you are shifting your perspective to begin with. So 
this is because it is one of the most common thought processes you know when we talk when i use the phrase public speaking you it's like people's fear just it physically manifests on their face the you know the aversion of an eye or the head down or the don't ask me that or don't speak to me like that you know don't tell me these things how do because you said that you still feel that fear and one of the ways to deal with it is obviously you know the thought process around perspective which I love you know uh, we talk around GPS gratitude perspective and service and you've touched on every single one of those already what part does fear play in your ability to deliver how do you how do you deal with it when you are facilitating you've said that you feel this these nerves you've taught us how you kind of change your perspective but what if they manifest themselves in a different way like you've forgotten how to answer a question or someone asks that you know you're in a room where you're facilitating around a subject that isn't your true core niche and you know there's that person there and they're eyeing you and you know they have 25 years worth of experience and they potentially know more than you how do you deal with that oh sister i wish i hadn't i don't have so much experience within that particular example but i absolutely do and this is real this is why answering this question is determines why one hour of facilitation is the equivalent of an eight eight hour workday from an energy perspective. It is exhausting to facilitate in a good way because not only are you communicating your message, but you have to be aware of your own fear level, of the fear level of the audience. Is the heat high enough? What time is the food coming? What chapter is coming? All of these things are happening at the same time and you have to control it, right? So when it comes, using that example, which is a fabulous example, it, first of all, you have to be aware, right? Number one. Number two, it, number one, number one, it has nothing to do with you. Any heckling, any negative, any interruption, any the, the, the person who needs to be here has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. So that person, if they are, if they make themselves known to you, I classify that human as a heckler. So they need to be handled one of two. I hate that word. Actually, I retract that word handle. You don't handle humans, right? You either heal, you support. So what we, it, an example could be if somebody keeps interrupting, then during a break, oh, Arthur, come here for a second. So I need your help. You know, so you, you know, clearly more than me. And this room has some newbies, you know that, right? So would you mind helping me? When we split off into the active group, I'm going to make sure that you're with, but can you let them speak and get it wrong and then correct when they're, make them a part of it. They will glisten with gratitude. They, oh my God. They, but set it up respectfully. And as if you bring, and really what you're doing is controlling the situation because they're a pain in the neck. And I can't believe I just said that out loud, but they are, they're, they're a massive interruption. They're not actually helping. They're hurting sometimes, but they have the best of intentions. And the worst thing you could do is stifle that because then they're done. And you don't want that. You want their support. And usually they are they ha, they know the things. So utilize them, lean on them. And or at the very least pull them aside and say, "So I I know you know everything, but do you see those three kids in the front? They really want to participate. And so would it be okay if you let them you, if if they don't answer correctly, can I lean on you to help get it right?" That's really what it, and they again, they will think that you're the best facilitator. You didn't say a word. You didn't, you didn't give any answer. You let, that's the definition of facilitation is 
right? Sharing the learning and then getting the hell out of the way so the learning can take place the way the learner needs to learn. And that's really the key. But that's just that's just one example of how to... <laughs> Absolutely one example. And honestly, anyone who's listened to the podcast before has heard similar scenarios, but that real life example in that everything is manageable. Everything gets a Marie Folio thing, isn't it? Everything is figure outable, which it is. And in that instance, if you've not dealt with it, it's kind of that the fear sets in, but it's the logic part of your brain that has found the way to manage the situation. And as much as you said, you know, handling a person, it's not so much the person, is it? It's the situation. And I love that you, you know, for, for people who are listening, I want you to rewind back and listen to the change in tone that Tina used the lean in, the lowering of a tone, the slowing down of the pace, because it becomes about the individual that you're managing. So I look at this from kind of the, the facilitator perspective of you've lent in. Would you mind? And it's a question, which is a question, but there is no opportunity for you to answer. It's a rhetorical question. Would you mind? You don't have chance to tell me that you do mind. You are going to do this, but you're putting the onus on them. You're giving them what feels like the power to manage it recognizing it because nine times out of 10, those people don't even know that they're doing it, don't understand or don't see the eye rolls of the other delegates in the room going, oh, here he is, it's Arthur again. Mm-hmm. That ability to do it in a respectful way, making sure that you don't just lose it and here's 50 quid, now do one, you know, which is what you want to do. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> That's the by the way after you've been the polite facilitator isn't it and your ability to do that so I'd love for people to listen back to this listen back to how Tina's tone changed I don't know if you'll notice but the the volume will change because she's moved closer to the to the microphone all of these things and when you're watching on the video the lean in the raised eyebrows the cocked head all of those things and I'm just sitting here going yes Yes, yeah, I feel like you are my kindred spirit from New Jersey, I really do. Um, And I love the example, so sticking with that, definitely. You know, in terms of, we mentioned feedback, and I want to go back to that, because a lot of it is the self-critique of feedback, and I think external feedback is really, really important, because sometimes the negative self-talk can tell us only the things that you didn't do well, you weren't great at, instead of, you know what you were really good at? X, Y, and Z. So... We talk about feedback coming in a sandwich format, you know, something good, an area to improve upon and something good. Do you have um, a system for feedback? Can you help? Because anyone who comes along to our trainings, part of the, the learning and the facilitation speaking in training is not only your ability to deliver, but also your ability to feed back to others. So what is your best advice for someone who maybe is a little bit fearful? You know, those people who when they give feedback, they just go, oh, it was amazing. Oh, no one learns from that. Or full tilt the other way. Yeah, well, if I were you, I'd have done. And the whole tilt. How do you find that balance when giving feedback to critique or give constructive feedback in such a way that it becomes well received? I love this question. And this is legitimately another podcast, and I'll tell you why. Because part of my career, I spent many years in human resources, for which I was the performance management manager. My job every day was to give feedback. And I did so poorly in the beginning for the same reason that leaders don't give feedback artfully. It's because they're afraid. They don't want to hurt the other person's feeling 
or they're terrified of conflict. It really comes down to one of those two motivators. And uh, so I love this topic. I actually facilitate on how to give performance feedback in a conflict situation and all the different things. I love it. For, to, to, to be swift, you have to stop and ask yourself, why am I not, why am I not giving the feedback? Is it, what, what am I afraid of? If, if, if I was living in a world where I wasn't afraid, would I give the feedback? And 10 out of 10 times, the answer is yes. So now what are you afraid of? Are you afraid that that person's not going to be your friend anymore? And I'll be honest with you. I have, I give feedback regularly and I do it um, respectfully because it's my, it is my job in my particular role. So, and it's with immediacy. So if I see it, Hey, you want to talk for a second? So Steve, how do you think that went? Yeah, I agree. What do you think? Yeah, you could have done that, right? Okay, so can I help you? Would you be open to some some ideas on how we could do it the next time? And you and you ask permission, and then you take it from there. I have, in my past, given feedback from an egocentric place, and I share this to be a little vulnerable because it's real. The fr- when you go to give feedback to anyone, and I don't care if it's a facilitation topic or anything else, the first question that you want to check yourself: Why am I really giving this feedback? And there have been times when it was more about I was being selfish or for whatever other reason, and it did not. It, it, there was no value to it ultimately. So the first step is to check yourself. The second step when you are giving the feedback is if you're afraid, say, what am I afraid of? This is I, I want to give this feedback to help this human in my world elevate and improve. It's all right. And then you go ahead and do it. And then the third step is to ask permission. Hey, are you open to a little feedback? Which I know sounds contrite. That's the feedback joke that's going, hey, you in your own words, but are ask permission. Sure, of course. And I want you to know this because you're amazing. Just a couple of things. I saw X, Y, and Z. And what do you think about that? That Get their feedback. Yeah, I know. I was wondering about that. Okay. And then you make it a partnership when you give it. And listen, you can never control anybody else. You can only control your own behavior. That's the only thing in life. It's called free will, right? That's all the only thing we have control over. It's if you don't take the opportunity to support your the other people to elevate, then, then you're, you will regret it. I promise you in the long run, for sure. Love the analogy of a partnership, and I suppose I've never really thought about that. We talk a lot around creating a connection with your audience, especially if you're delivering a speech. So, if we use that angle, as many of our, many of our delegates deliver speeches to an audience, so there is less interaction than there would be in a, a like an interactive presentation or facilitation. But you are creating a partnership. I love that. There is so much around the psychology of feedback, and as you say. You know, this is going to be, I feel like this is going to be become a, a dual podcast whereby we just run one every month with a, with a lesson and a learning because there's so much in there. Um, and the ability to give and receive feedback, I think, is so often overlooked that I love. And again, those listening in, listen back, the tonality changes, the pace changes, the, um, the eye contact changes, your body language, absolutely everything, because, you know, presentations are not just about the spoken word are they it's the thought processes that come into it that that mentality of partnership I'm, I love absolutely love and I think we can dig a little bit deeper on that definitely I am very conscious that uh, you know time difference and I've taken a lot of your time but there are still some things that I would love to touch upon if it's okay with you so do absolutely I 
question to do some quick fire. So I love to do these ones. Quick fire. Um, first thing that comes into your head. And if there is a story or an analogy to go with it, just run with it. Okay, you've yeah. delivered many, many presentations. You've facilitated in lots of different places with all different niches. What springs to mind as your best gig pitch presentation or facilitation ever? Oh. <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> no, this is, yeah, there, there are a few. Okay, so the first one was, it was a very big group and I was uh, for Volkswagen and I was asked to so, minutes before hey would you go ahead this person didn't show up would you go ahead and and do this and I went but I, I I'm terrified but it, I didn't have any time to really feel it and I I just got up and I did it and I leaned on the techniques that I had how and it was a presentation because there was no I had no time to create and and you know an adult learning facilitated state where I could bring people out it was just can you do can you handle this for 10 minutes and, and educate about this topic and I was able to be funny and and impromptu and call and and use my improv skills and say, uh, you know, I don't. Hey, thanks for giving me the the heads up that I was going to be doing this, everybody. You know, and it just worked. And uh, and actually, it, and the, everyone learned what needed to be learned. It was a human resources thing, and was able to apply. And I walked out of there and went, "What was that? That was the most amazing." So that was. Thank you for letting me remember that because that was many many years ago, and that was that was all good. All good things. An instance where you think, oh, I really wish I hadn't ever experienced that. What was the, the worst? Even if you've learned from it, because you yep. definitely are someone who can compartmentalize and kind of go, what was the lesson in that? But at the time, the one that felt like the worst experience. So uh, you would think it would be the ripping of the pants experience, but that was not it, actually. That that all worked out. That was not, I would not want to do that again, but that wasn't it. There was, uh, it was about... 13, 15 years ago, I think. And I was new to BMW. And I I allowed the, the leader of the entire group, it was a huge field conference. And I knew that I was facilitating. And I knew what it was about. It wasn't long. I let him get in my head just before. And I walked up, Tony, it was all me. I knew the content. It was short. I was prepared. It was the noise in my brain. And it was so bad. It was, I was, I was just rambling and I couldn't, I, I, all my skills went out the window. I was sweating and a woman took a glass of water and walked it from the back of the room to the front and put it next to me. And I was humiliated. That made me so angry that I flipped it. And it, for the last, you know, four minutes of the conversation, I kind of figured it out, but it was, I, I, that memory comes to mind so much more swiftly than the positive experience. Isn't that interesting? And I'm so glad that that happened because now I, there was nothing that could be worse than that for me. So when I get into that, I'm so nervous. Oh, hold on a second. What, how did you deal with it? Do we want that to happen again? No. Okay. How can I shift my perspective? So, but that one tone, that was, that was the best of the worst for sure. (laughs) Many people might think that is a really bizarre question for me to ask in terms of the best and the worst. I love that you've recognised that you you can call upon the worst gig so much faster than the best because that's what we do as humans, isn't it? That's in our psychology. You'll know that better than anybody else. The reason I ask that is I've never asked anyone that question where they've then 
gone, oh, it sticks with me, it stuck with me forever, it prevented me from moving on. It's that lesson around it and that ability that you have learned to never let yourself feel that way again. And that's what I want our audience to hear. Same with the next two quick fire questions. So the first one being, what is the worst piece of advice you have ever heard when it comes to facilitation, presentations, pitches or selling? The piece of advice that you've heard and thought, really? Can we narrow this down? I mean, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. (laughs) I've heard stand in a circle at the front of the room and don't leave that circle. While you're, you see the face that I hope everyone can see Tony's face right now. I, I, that that one to me, and watch your body language. And I and and I hesitate to share from where this came, but it was an accredited place. And I, I again, a part my cells combusted inside my body when I heard this. And the more words on a PowerPoint slide, the better. Just put it all up there and congest it. And 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 yeah, just a complete antithesis of the real science of adult learning and and the art of facilitation. The the movement piece, I would say, is the number one where I've heard, no, 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 you have to stand up there. And yes, you can walk back and forth, but that's it. Stand it, stand in that place. That is the use the room, use your body, use the use the humans, you know, and and um and everything. This just I have to say this also. I have said out loud, um, when it comes to using the room, you can use people. You don't necessarily want to touch people. Now, I have said it's okay. So I feel like I need to go on the record, which wasn't necessarily your question, but I'm saying this anyway. I have actually given advice. I said, yes, especially in a heckling situation, if you need to get, if you're standing on top with your presence, which will shut a heckler down right then and there, right, just being there that the the shoulder is okay. Honestly, don't touch people. That really, so mm-hmm. I should not. And, and I have been told and use this, this, the only place on the human body that you can touch someone that isn't, that isn't uh, determined to be in any sexual connotation whatsoever is the elbow. Because I mean, how sexy is the elbow really? But that's what I've heard. However, I could be that piece of advice that people quote as bad because I have said it's okay. Honestly, it's not. You should never touch. You should you should really never touch. But um, a really important point there, which is proximity. You mentioned the shutting someone down. Proximity can do exactly that without the touch on the shoulder or the elbow. Standing there. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the the best piece of advice is that you get sometimes are based upon the worst piece of advice that's been trial tested and think very good. (laughs) That one's gonna scratch it. So. This is an either or, or both, whichever you choose, which is best piece of advice, either that somebody has given to you that's really kind of stuck in your head in every presentation, every facilitation, every pitch, it's there, or the self-critique that you, the best piece of advice that you have self-taught that you now make sure every one of your delegates hears. Okay. There's so much. However, for me, number one, the game changer is this sound and this action, which is the volley. The best, best training technique that I deploy now that does not give me laryngitis at the end of the day, nor completely depletes me of energy is the art of the question back. We as human beings have been trained to fix everyone else's problems. Therefore, when we are standing in front of a room, commanding and facilitating, we believe 
that we are supposed to have all of the answers to all of the questions. That is false. <laughs> lie, lie, lie. And I, I, when I learned that te technique, thank goodness, many, many years ago, and it takes practice, it takes much, much practice. When that audience asks a question, Tina, what is the, the what's the torque on the, what's the horsepower? You know, many times I didn't know the answers to this question, right? So the, you don't say, I don't know. That is a great question. Thank you. So who has the answer to that question? You volley it right back. And it is a skill. This is not, most of us are not born with this because it's been ingrained in us through whatever uh, institutional education that we have to have the answers to, nope, no, no, no. That's the art of facilitation. So the number one technique, piece of advice, educational tool that I learned without question is the art of the question back. That it is not something, and many people will, you know, watch one of your videos or listen to one of your presentations and think, oh, well, she just knows what to do, that many of those, and that's why I love the the honesty and the vulnerability of, yeah, I've squatted down and ripped my trousers in front of everyone. Yeah, I've said the wrong thing. I've lost my way. Someone's, you know, someone has, has kind of had to take control of a situation and embarrassed you so much so that it's it's created, you know, it becomes this visceral thing, doesn't it? It's a physical feeling and a physical reaction to, I am never going back there. So that's why I love asking these questions. One final question that I would love to ask, and not many people have the answer to it, but that is the next podcast if there is one, which is, is there a question that nobody has ever asked you, but you want them to? What is the one thing that no one ever asks you about, but you think, oh, I'd knock it off the park if they'd have asked me that? What a unique question. What's your answer to that question? What, what's your answer? Well, what I did there? Polly, Polly, interesting question. I think that's the first time I've ever been speechless. <laughs> I've not found my solution to that question just yet. And that is one of the reasons I'm asking it of everybody else, is I'm crowdsourcing my own answer. That is a, it really, that's an intriguing question. Really, that's, it's, that's deep, sister. You went, you went a little deep on that one. I, I cannot think of something that's jaunty and, and, and funny and nor deep at this moment. You know, honestly, it's, it's where my head and heart is going more is around the why you do what you do. I think, I don't really, I cannot put my finger on the question, but I think it's, that's probably the direction that I would want to go. It's why do you want to do this? And honestly, the, 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 because I, if, if when I retire, I say that because I'm, I, we don't, I would do it right now if we could, if everybody would want us to do that, but teaching people, facilitating people how to facilitate it, it, there's so much joy that I get from watching the, uh, you know, just, oh, I get it. I, I really, I absolutely adore it. So I think the question would have to be around the why. And I ask permission to get back to you with an answer. My response would have been, can I ask that you come back to us and we do follow up into that, whether that be another podcast, whether it be a Facebook Live to answer the question, whatever it might be, so that the answer is out there when you've had time to digest it. I would love that. Absolutely love that. You're precious. Oh, 
so much of your time, but this has been so valuable for all of our listeners. It has been an absolute honour to interview you. And I feel like, hand on heart, we've just scratched the surface. There are a million and five individual podcasts and as much time as you're willing to give, I am going to take to make sure that all of our listeners get that advice, guidance, support, mentorship, all of those things that you've created over you know the last couple of decades to get to where you are and reach the, the success that you are. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to interview. Thank you so much for investing your time today. And for anyone who wants to learn a little bit more around you, what you do, how you got there, by all means, tell everyone about your book because not everyone will know it. Where can people find all of that out? On rpcamerica.com. The book is there. Our new book, I forgot to mention to you, was called Fantastic Facilitation Fails. That will launch in September. And uh, that is, uh, so both can be found. And I, I invite you and everyone, for, especially from the UK, for which uh, Jasmine Pereira, who is the me in at RPC in the UK, to come to the US to participate in our art of facilitation class. Oh my God, I would love that. You know what? I'm going to just have to come over. I just, I'm, I'm going to have to cross the pond. That's it. And just come visit everyone. But that's where they can find more information. Best. Everyone heard that now. So there's no going back on it. We would love to have you over. Thank you so, so much. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking. We'll see you on the next episode.